this morning that's continuing from the previous weeks. And hopefully we will conclude this message next Sunday with a kingdom conversation. In case you're not familiar with what, what a kingdom conversation is, it's a time that we share and then open up the dialogue to the entire congregation for your questions or answers regarding the subject matter. Amen? So next Sunday will be a kingdom conversation that is generated around what we've been talking about and in particular what I'm going to tell you this next Sunday. And because of that, the service arrangement will be a little different. Uh, we're going to be up and speaking by quarter till 11. So those of you that want to wait until uh, all the other stuff is over, you may miss part of the whole thing. So by 10.45, I'll be up and speaking. So that by 11.15, we can be done with what I'm saying and give you the opportunity to give comments, ask questions regarding the subject matter. Amen? Amen? Next, I want to encourage you strongly. If you have not voted, please exercise your constitutional rights and go and vote. Don't come back here on Sunday with your heads cast down like you did in 2016. Don't do that. Go and vote your conscience. Vote according to your values. Whatever happens, be sure that your vote matters and counts. Amen? We are not going to have any change if we all complain and grumble and murmur and when the opportunity is there, we do nothing. Amen? If you don't vote, shame on you. Oh, are you running for Congress or something? Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> the way she's shouting, I don't know if she's... Uh... <laughs> all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. And so this morning, I want to speak to us on the, uh, using the title, The Church in the Wilderness. But remember, this is a con continuation from previous messages, even including the one that Pastor Shina brought last Sunday. It's all a continuum. And next Sunday, I will finish it. I will not finish this morning. And next Sunday will be a kingdom conversation. Amen? Praise God. Are you still blessed? Are you still happy? Are you sure about that? Can you shout hallelujah one more time? <laughs> Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren and sisters, these days you have to count both. <laughs> I, don't want, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud up Pass through the sea. How do you get to verse 27? Wow. First Corinthians chapter 10. Thank you, verse 2. Wow. All right. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Next verse, please. All ate the same spiritual food, verse 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now please give me verse 11. The final verse in this passage. Verse 11. Thank you. Now this is important that you see verse 11. 
Everything that Paul has said so far is to set up this warning or encouragement to us. So now in verse 11 it says, Now all these things happen to them as examples. Another transition says, as ensembles. Okay? And they were written, why? For admonition. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. God is awesome. We, we did a song just now that talks about how much God loves us. God loves us much. Oh. When you read a verse like this, you recognize how much God loves us. I'm saying how much God loves us in this day and time. That he will allow a whole nation to dramatize for us the time that we are living in. In other words, if you don't understand the Bible and you can watch a drama on what and how God dealt with Israel, you can find yourself. And that's what's going to happen this morning. That's how much God loves us. Say with me. Say, God, God loves, loves us, us much. much. That is a fact. Yes. I don't know where you're coming from this morning. What happened to you last night, day before, last week, last month, life's dealings. But you must understand that Jesus loves you so much Amen. Amen. that he allowed a whole nation to live and dramatize for us what his plans and his intentions for us will be. Amen? Amen? Now, go with me to Acts chapter 7 verse 38. Acts chapter 7 verse 38. This is the historical account of God's dealing with Israel. Verse 38 says, this is he, referring to Jesus, who was in the congregation in the wilderness. Original King James did not use the word congregation, he used the word church. If we use the King James Version, it will say, this is he who was in the church in the wilderness. With the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. What's the point? The point I'm making is, there was a church before this church. According to this scripture in Acts chapter 7, this is not Old Testament, Acts chapter 7, post-resurrection, Israel was referred to as the church in the wilderness. Did you read it? Am I making this up? If you believe, say hallelujah. hallelujah. My goodness, it's out there. You are looking at it. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness. Now, because if you miss this, you're going to miss the whole message. This is he, the one that Paul described to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Christ that led them. Acts 7 is telling you there was a church in the wilderness. Why do you need to know that? You need to know that because you must understand that God brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness into their promised land. 
So the wilderness is a place of development. That's where you are right now. The wilderness is a place of training. God is training you right now. The wilderness is a place of raising up. God is raising you up right now. The wilderness is a church in transit. You are moving from point A to point B. Israel moved from Egypt to the promised land. So the wilderness is an in-between place. You are in transit. You are a man or a woman going somewhere for God. Amen. Do you understand that so far? So the church in the wilderness is very, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a great example for where you are now. All of us are in transit. We are growing daily from faith to faith. We are growing from glory to glory. We are going from point A to point B. We're in a journey. And as long as we're in this journey, God wants us to understand certain things. You understand that so far? Okay. Please give me the picture or the illustration of the church in the wilderness on the overhead. The church in the wilderness. Thank you. This will have been the picture of what the church in the wilderness looked like. Notice certain things about this church. You have a tabernacle that is in dead center and you have an encampment of over 2 million people round about that tabernacle. Are you, are you seeing it? Now, in the most holy place from this tabernacle, you see the pillar of cloud shooting upwards. Do you see that? Now, with that in mind, keep this picture on your mind. Now, let me begin to give you a comparison between this church, the church in the wilderness, and the church we're in now, under the covenant of grace, the church in the New Testament. I want to make a contrast and comparison so you understand exactly what God did and what is looking to do in and through us right now. Amen? Amen? Good. So number one point I want to make. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. Too bad we cannot leave that on while we read the scriptures. So let's go to Exodus 40, verse 33. Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. Now the PowerPoint, uh, if you have the PowerPoint, you can put it on now. Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. Thank you. Mm, you guys did it together. I didn't want it together, but okay. The first thing you see there is in Exodus 40, verse 33, and he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the walk, of the court gate. What's the last sentence? So Moses finished the walk. Moses finished the work of the picture you just saw previously that we're not showing now. He finished. Is that correct? That was the church in the wilderness. Come to the church today in the New Testament. In John chapter 19 verse 30, the Bible says, it is finished. So not only did Moses finish his work, Jesus, for the New Testament church, also did what? Finished the work. Do you see that? 
John 19, verse 30. Okay. Now, what happened after Moses finished the work? Give me slide number two. Is it possible to show them one at a time? Okay, it's not? Okay, thank you. Slide number two. Look at Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. When Moses finished the work, what happened? The Bible says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When Moses finished the work, what happened? The glory cloud of God came and remained upon the tabernacle. All right. What happened in the New Testament church? When Jesus finished his work, what happened? Acts 2 verse 4. God will not allow the Old Testament church to outdo the New Testament church. In Acts 2 4, we are told that the Holy Ghost fell upon the church. Are you guys here? Yes. The way I'm looking at your eyes, I mean, I better not, maybe I better start looking up when I'm preaching because some of your faces may are so stern, so tough, stoic. Hallelujah. Let's read Acts 2, 4. Acts 2, chapter 4. I, I shouldn't assume everybody knows this. Acts 2, 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this is the point. Moses finished the work. The glory of God came. The power of God came. The presence of God came. Jesus finished the church. He finished the redemption work. And we are told in Acts 2.4, the Holy Spirit came upon that church. You see that so far? Slide number three. Slide number three. The cloud remained on the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Oh, this is huge. Let's read that. Exodus chapter 40, verse 38. Not only did Moses finish the work, not only did the cloud come upon the finished work, now in verse 38, we are told, for the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Now this last phrase is the one I really want to pay attention. What did he say? Throughout all their journeys. Did you hear that? This glory of God, this presence of God was upon them throughout all their journeys. When they murmured, the glory was upon them. When they complained, the glory was upon them. When they failed God, the glory was upon them. Nothing they did or could have done affected the power and the presence of God upon the camp. That was in the Old Testament. What happens to us in the New? The church in the New Testament. Here we go. Jesus made a commitment in Matthew chapter 28. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, does that mean he will not leave or forsake you or he will be with you until the end of the earth when you are doing good? Only? No. 
If Israel could not do anything to circumvent the presence of God in their lives, if the glory cloud of God remained upon the tabernacle as they encamped around it, and you must understand within their tents, they were lying, they were arguing, they were fighting, they were breaking every law under heaven while they were encamped around the presence of God and the presence of God never left. What does that say to you today? Now, you must understand, I'm not trying to uh, uh, patronize sin and tell you that sin is fine. Nope, absolutely not. There's a consequence for sin. Huge consequence when you sin, when you violate the, uh, the promptings of the Holy Spirit and you violate God. There are consequences. But those consequences are earthly, not eternal. Woo! You didn't hear what I just said? All of those consequences are earthly if you are born again. If, that's a big if. I-F. If you are born again. So the presence of God was with them throughout all their journeys. These guys made 42 stops from Egypt to the promised land. 42 stops. And God's presence never once left them. And so in the New Testament, Jesus said to us, I would never leave you nor forsake you. Do you really believe that? Because yes. many times things will happen to you. You lose a job. You get into a, uh, a, a tight situation. And the first thing the enemy wants to say to you, God is not with you. And if you're not careful, you begin to believe that. You begin to look at God based on your circumstance. And the Bible is telling us that your circumstance does not move God. God has already made up his mind concerning you. He loves you seriously. He loves you so much. Nothing that you can do or will do will ever move God to change his mind or his opinion towards and concerning you. Amen? Slide number four. This is huge. In Exodus chapter 40, verse uh, 36 and 37, look at what it says. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day it was taken up. This is the point. God led this church in the wilderness supernaturally. They did not make a move based on their own imagination or their own plans. They were a supernaturally led congregation. When the cloud lifted, it was a sign for them that God was moving. And when the cloud rested, it was a sign for them that this is the place to stop. And so they did not take the initiative to move or go on their own. God led them. If God did that in the old for the church in the wilderness, a church in transit, a church on its way from point A to point B, what is he doing in the New Testament? The Bible says in John chapter 16, verse 13, he will send us a comforter, and one of the roles and the job of this comforter is to guide us into all truth. To guide us. Now, when I look at that word guide, I contrast that with like a travel agent. However called, 
to make a booking, maybe on your cruise, and you're talking to an agent who's trying to sell you a cruise and he's never been on a boat. <laughs> it's a travel agent. He's never been on the boat, and every question you ask, they have to look at the brochure. What does that mean? What is it? Why? They have no experience. They don't know where you're trying to go. They have to read up on it. So you contrast a travel agent with a guide, a tour guide. A tour guide, in contrast, is a person who has been there, knows what it looks like, understands the experience, and tries to bring you into the experience that they already have been into. The Holy Spirit is a guide, not a travel agent. The Holy Spirit knows where you are going. In Numbers 10, verse 33, the Bible said God went on a three-day journey, advanced journey, my God, to search out a resting place before bringing the people in there. So God is not looking to bring you and I into a place he's not been. You recognize he created all things. All things are made by him. So when you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, he has already gone ahead of you, checked the places out, knows what's good, what's right, what's bad, knows what's going to work, and says, now based on my experience, let me now take you on the journey. Amen. This was the unique situation with Esther. Who, when they were bringing all the virgins before the king, the Bible said, instead of making a choice as to what to wear, she relinquished her right to Haggai, who was the custodian of the woman. Haggai is an aide to the king, knew the king's heart, knew the king's desire, knew what pleases the king. So I said, just say, you know what? Rather than me just making a choice, since you know the king, choose for me. Choose for me what you know will please the king. Esther relied on a guide, not something she read. So the church today must be a supernaturally led church by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we will not be left from what the church in the wilderness accomplished. Amen? Slide number five. Now, this is very interesting. Even though the instruction of building the tabernacle came to Moses in Exodus chapter 25. God began to give Moses the plan to build what we saw at the beginning, the tabernacle of Moses. But we know for a fact that the persons who did the actual building were named, and their names were Bezalel and Aholiab. Please read with me Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Bezalel and Aholiab built the tabernacle as they were endowed with, the, with wisdom and understanding by the Spirit. Exodus 31 verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Or, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cotton jewels for setting, 
in carving wood and to make and to work in all manner of workmanship. Incredible. So the revelation came to Moses. But the actual building, the skill to do so was coming to Bezalel. And in order for Bezalel to do this work, God had to endow him with the spirit of God. Because everything in that tabernacle must be made according to a particular pattern that God was given. This is a message for the New Testament church. Moses may have the instruction or Jesus or the pastor, the set ministry, but he's going to take the congregation to build it. Notice in Exodus 31, verses 1 through 5, is the very first time anyone in the scriptures was ever filled with the Spirit of God. That was the first time. That it was mentioned in scriptures that anyone was filled with the Spirit of God. And it's amazing to me that when this mention was made, being filled with the Spirit, it was not a pastor. It was not a priest. It wasn't an evangelist, a prophet, an apostle. It was a common, ordinary person endowed with the Spirit of God. I want to sink in. Without Bezalel and Aholiab, there will be no tabernacle. What is the New Testament message? The saints will build the church. The entire New Testament was written to the saints to awaken the saints of their responsibility before God. Wow, it's quiet here now. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me break this down properly. Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you very much from verse 11. Thank you. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till, now, that word till is a time reference word. Pastor, 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 evangelist, prophet, teacher will not be forever. You will not carry your title to heaven. Pastor, apostle, evangelist, prophet is only for a period of time. Okay, let me say it clearer. It has an expiration date. There are no people in heaven that's called apostles or pastors or teachers or evangelists. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the truth. Till. So these roles of apostle, pastor, prophet, teachers, and evangelists will function until. There's an ending point. So preachers, I'm sorry. Don't stone me. Don't send me bad messages on Facebook. I appreciate you. Thank God for you. But I'm just saying to you, our job is until. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Go on, please. 
Verse 15. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Who is the head? Christ. Now verse 16 is really where I'm going. Watch this. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Say with me, every joint supplies. Let's say what that one more time. Say every joint supplies. Now say with me, I am a joint. I'm not talking about marijuana. Hey, hey, listen, in Canada now, it's, it's, it's not legal. Some of you are flying to Canada to, to get a little smoke, but I, I understand that. <laughs> Say, I'm a joint and I supply. Think about that. The Bible says every joint supplies. What would have happened if Bezalel and Aholeb did not supply? There will be no church in the wilderness. The Bible is saying every joint supplies. Okay, let's bring it home. As human beings, how many joints do you have in your body right now? What would happen if those joints in your body are not supplying? How would you function? In fact, if those joints are not supplying, you'll be diseased. It's a serious message to us. Moses got the revelation, but Bezalel and Aholiab and his group built. Yes. They were endowed with the Spirit of God, with the ability and skill to build. Right. So Paul takes that and tells us in the New Testament church that the role of the fivefold ministry is to keep these things, to perfect or complete them. So that they, as joints, can supply. Ask yourself, how much supply have you brought forth this year? This year is about to go, to be over. We jump, shout, praise, get excited about how much God loves us. And he does. But I don't want this year to go over without you having a reflection what is your supply to the body of Christ? How much has the body benefited from your existence? In 2018. Don't let's go to 2017 or 16 because I don't want us to get in depression. Let's just think about this year. Let's think about this year. Because God gave the ministry so that you can be Equipped and become perfect or complete. Not perfect as in blameless, but perfect as in being complete. So you now as a joint can supply. Think about that. Let's go to the next one. Same verse. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Say with me, I'm a part. I do, I do my share. Did you just lie? <laughs> Say, I'm a part. I'm a part. 
I do my share. That's God's expectation, folks. That's the reason you are born again. That's the reason you have the Spirit of God to supply from your joint and as a part to do your share. There is no shepherd that begets a sheep. That will be an aberration. Only sheep beget sheep. Only sheep beget sheep. Now, I love these moments in services. Anytime we start talking about how much God loves us, we all get excited. But when we now turn it a little bit and show how much, how, how responsible we need to be, everybody gets quiet. And the quietness is good. We should reflect. We should reflect. On my joint, what am I supplying to the body of Christ? How has my living in 2018 impacted and added value to the body of Christ this year? How well have I done my share in the kingdom of God in 2018? That's a very good reflection point for all of us. Now, when we understand this, we cannot begin to understand why Paul prayed certain prayers for the church in the New Testament. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Remember what God gave Bezalel. He endowed him with the spirit of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Remember that. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Now with that, let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Let's see how Paul understood that. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What is he praying? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you what? That's word of what? Wisdom, revelation, in the knowledge of him, and verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. To what? That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Paul was praying for, his pray, pray for the official church exactly what God gave to Bezalel. Exactly what God gave to Bezalel. So that Bezalel will understand the hope of his calling. Why are you alive, Bezalel? Why are you alive, Aholiab? To receive wisdom of God, to receive understanding concerning the things of God, to receive knowledge concerning what God wants you to do. So that your calling or your life will not be a waste. This should be our prayers. Ah, listen, I don't know how else to say it. The Pauline prayers should be our prayer. Now, you know the amazing thing about this Bezalel, Bezalel story? In Exodus 31, verse, verses 1 through 5. Notice how definite God described Bezalel. The son of Uri. The son of Har. Anytime God gets that specific, you need to pay attention. Who is Har? In Exodus 17, the Bible said Moses went on the mount to lift up his hands 
as they, as a congregation, was fighting the Amaleks. And that whenever his hands get weary, Israel will be losing the battle. But when his hands were lifted up, they'll begin to win. The battle will change. And two men sat Moses down on a stone. They didn't have cushions and chairs. They had a stone. One was Aaron, who lifted up one hand. The other was Har, who lifted the other hand. Watch this. What is Aaron's reward for service? God gave his family the priesthood, Levites. Called them out and rewarded them with the priesthood in Israel. What was all's benefit for what he did? God bypassed his son and went to his grandson and gave him the spirit of wisdom in understanding, knowledge. What am I saying to you this morning? Your service for God will never be in vain. It can never be in vain. God does not forget your labor of love in that you serve and continue to serve. So for those of you who are serving God, who is working in the kingdom, who is doing whatever God is asking to do, I want to say to you, keep on doing it. Your reward is much with glory of God to come. God will never forget your labor of love. Never. And for those of you that's not busy, that's not doing anything, consider it. Because what you do today, you may not reap it in your time, but it may be the seed that your children need for their future. It may be. That's what happened. Aaron's children entered into the priesthood. He didn't ask for it. He didn't pray for it. God just rewarded him. Bam. Uri, nothing happened in this time. But God says, I didn't forget you. I'm saving the blessing for your grandchildren. Yes. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Don't forget that. Five minutes ago, two last points, very quickly. And I'll pick up these two points from, from next Sunday. I just want to mention them now. Then next Sunday, we're going to pick it up to develop them. Slide number six on the church in the wilderness. Their people gave generously. That was the only way the tabernacle was built. They gave so generously in Exodus chapter 36, in verse 3 through 6, the Bible said, Tell the children of Israel not to give anymore. Did you hear what I just said? Yes. Have you ever seen a church in modern ages where the preacher is not asking for your prophet's offering, your first food offering, your tithe, your this and that and that and that and on and on and on? Can you imagine what God did in the Old Testament? Where they were only, where the Holy Ghost was only upon them, was not within them. They don't have what we have. The cloud was over them, just on top of them, upon them. You and I have this cloud inside of us. Huge difference. Yet, in that old economy, Bezalel and Aholiab came to Moses and said, listen, we have a problem. It's not the AC compression, it's not blown, no. Our problem is not that the AC is not working. 
I hear that from Pastor Ibiki all the time. I wish you would come with, to me with another problem. They didn't come and say, well, we need to tie the road. No. We have a problem. But the problem is that we can't count the offering. It's too much. I am waiting for a day in this church. When the counters will call me and say, please. We, we, we are spending the nights, two, three nights counting the offering, please. Old Testament. Moses had to give an instruction. Tell them to stop bringing. How about the church in the New Testament? They were not are done. Let's go to the book of Acts. The church in the New Testament gave selflessly. Acts chapter 4. Selflessly. I got three minutes to go. Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Oh, my, 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 my. I will not do it any justice if I don't explain to you why they gave so much in the Old Testament. Because you're about to see it in the New. If, don't turn there, but if you read Exodus chapter 24, the last two verses of Exodus chapter 24, the Bible described that Moses was called up to the mount with God and that the glory of God covered the entire place in the sight of all Israel. They saw the glory of God. It is out of that glory of God in Exodus 24 that we now move to Exodus chapter 25 verse 1. When God now said to Moses, ask Israel to give me an offering. Ah, don't miss it. Because in the book of Acts chapter 4, in verse 33, we just read that the grace of God was upon them all. Subsequent to that grace, we now begin to read in verse 34. What happened? The grace was upon them all. Verse 34 now. Watch what happens. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. That's what grace does. For all who were possessors of lines and houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. Verse 35. And laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. Question. Who asked them to do this? Who asked them to go sell their lands? And their properties? No one had to do so. Why? Because the grace of God was upon all. The enablement, enablement, the power, the presence of God was upon. They didn't have to tell Greg about it. They didn't have to tell Bush about it. They didn't have to tell Sam about it. They didn't have, everybody like, oh, wow, there's grace in the house. Wow, 
The power of God is here. The presence of God is here. And the next result of God's grace upon all was a spontaneous response to say, you know what? My God, we love what we see. We love the grace of God upon us. I love the Father of God. You are a blessing, God. You love us so much. I'm going to respond to your love, to your blessing in a reciprocal way to say thank you for loving us so much. Nobody had to raise an offering. I am praying that the day will come when the modern day church will not take out all this time in raising offerings. When the people of God will understand that the correct response in gratitude for what God has done for us is to be a blessing back to God. In a spontaneous way. Why did these guys in Exodus give so much? They gave so much because they recognized they were slaves in Egypt. As a slave, they had no property. They had no identity. They had absolutely nothing. And without them asking for anything, God made them millionaires overnight. Spoiled the Egyptians. And God gave them, transferred the wealth in one night. So they recognized that apart from God, they were nothing. How do you think about yourself today? Do you really think you have anything that God has not given you? Is there anything in your possession that God has not made happen? Can any of us be anything, have anything, if God didn't do it? We are quick to forget that. When we ask the question in a forum like this, everybody says, oh yeah, God is. God is the one. But when that God that you claim is the one says, release something, all of a sudden, mammon comes in. My prayer for us is that we get to that point where per second, per second, we connect back to ourselves, recognizing that God is the El Shaddai, the ever all-sufficient one, the great Jehovah Jireh, the God that supplies all of our needs before we ever know we'll have a need. And that as we trust him and cast our cares upon him, we'll see him to be faithful over and over and over and over. Amen? We'll pick it up from there next week. Now, as we pray now, Israel had a bad rap. We read about Israelites, how they murmured, how they complained, how they got into idolatry, all those things were through. But let me remind you that Israel, in fact, fulfilled her destiny. I'm saying that to you because I'm about to pray now. You're having challenges. You're stumbling. You're having obstacles. And if care is not taken, it looks like your minus is a lot more or overwhelms your process. It looks like your deficit far exit your surpluses. And if you're not careful, you can get in depression. Israel, in spite of all her faults, fulfilled God's destiny. You know how? You read it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the generation of Abraham, the son of David, the son of Jesus Christ. What am I saying? In spite of their faults, they produce Jesus in the flesh. Amen. Amen. 
they produced, they brought forth Jesus. Apart from the Jews, we will not have Jesus. And so what I'm saying to you is, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. If they produce Jesus, you will bring him forth. You will bring him forth. And so Father, we thank you. We bless you, Lord God, for this privilege of knowing how Jesus was the angel that led the church in the wilderness and in spite of their journeys and all their ups and downs and all the things that happened to them, they brought forth you, Jesus, in the flesh. And so, Lord, we thank you for your endowment upon us right now. Those that are born again, those who have believed on you, on your name, that you filled us with your spirit, that the Christ in us is the hope of glory, you are not just among us, you are within us. We embrace you, Jesus. We thank you, God, that even though we have faults, we have challenges, we have issues, we thank you for the assurance you've given us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So we are confident this morning that your presence is upon us. And in due season, we bring forth you, Lord Jesus. You said that the honest expectation of the creation is awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. And so we declare that we are the sons and daughters of God. We will manifest your nature. We will manifest your love and your goodness to our world and to our generation. Thank you, Father God, that you are keeping us to be the Bezalels and our holy apps. As joints, we will supply. And as parts, we will do our share. Thank you for your mobilization. Thank you for your keeping. We honor, we bless you now, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.